0: Continuing in our series on Limit Breaks, we're back with part one on Skyfall. This time we're going to talk about how we can change the game when our organization reaches a limit. In this movie we see MI6 reaching their limits. They're at the point where they might be behind in terms of technology, in terms of their ways of working or their processes, and we see the villain Silva is always one step ahead. We come to learn that Silva is a former MI agent, and so that's why he knows them so well, because he knows their systems, he knows their processes, and they haven't changed very much in decades. For most of the movie, M is just sticking to her previous ways of working. She has a moment where she puts 007 out onto the field without him passing his tests. She has this moment where she's in a heated discussion in Parliament and she gets information that Silva has escaped from the holding cell that they have him in. Instead of immediately reacting to that information, she continues to try to push forward this narrative that everything is fine and that the processes that they're currently using with the agents on the ground are going to solve all of their problems. And obviously, we can see the parallels to our own lives, where we've created a lot of value, we've helped a lot of people with our lives, with our businesses, with our charities, whatever we're working in. But inevitably, we're going to come up against limits, where we feel like growth has become stagnant and we're not sure how to progress. So what we see in Skyfall is that we have to go backwards before we can go forwards. We get the quote from Bond. We've been one step behind Silva since the beginning. We need to get out in front and change the game. The way that they do that is by going back to Skyfall. So in this episode, we want to see how we can move past our organizational limits together for the good of our people and for the good of the community. Welcome to Wonder Tour.
1: All right. Welcome back, Wanderers. This is Brian. I'm here with Drew once again. We are continuing our series on limit breaks. So if you joined us for the conversations about Andor and Inside Out, I want to briefly recap, we have a formula that we've been conceiving for what a limit break looks like for in your personal life, how to go from the state of dissatisfaction with where you are right now to realizing a mission is our first phase is the dissatisfaction internally coupled with an external mission. Our second phase is the realization of a path forward internally coupled with external alignment with that world and the resources. That proceeds to our third phase of actually paying the cost, doing the work internally to achieve the breakthrough externally. And that leads to our flow state, our desired fourth state, which is at the new level, having crossed the threshold, having crossed the limit. So those four phases are what we're saying are the ingredients required to successfully conduct a limit break. What I like about Skyfall that we can talk about in an upcoming episode is that... This movie is an example of not just an individual person going through a limit break, but a whole organization, in this case, the famed MI6 British intelligence organization, going through a limit break where they're embedded in a world where they're used to espionage. They're used to kind of Cold War style cloak and dagger secrets and people on the ground and James Bond running around seducing women and shooting people with his walter, I guess. But that's their, that's their skill set. And what this movie shows us is a technological threat from an opponent who knows their current game very well, but who also has very advanced technology, computer networking, wizardry sort of threats. And the organization's not very good at that yet. And so we see them in the state of organizational dissatisfaction right at the beginning, where the latest organizational threat is somebody has electronically has stolen a hard drive containing names of a bunch of NATO agents all over the world. They have threats against their individual humans, but it's in the form of a digital theft. And Bond is, of course, chasing the thief through the streets of Istanbul and across the top of the Grand Bazaar on motorcycles and on an excavator on a train and, you know, typical ridiculously large scale Bond stuff. But the core of this is an organization that hasn't really grappled with the world that's changed around it, with the kinds of threats or challenges that it's dealing. And its typical processes of running around and shooting people and (laughs) chasing them on motorcycles are maybe not the appropriate response or not a sufficient response. So we get to see through the course of this movie, this entire organization embodied by the character of M., still very clear on her mission, still very clear on their mission to protect the safety of, in this case, the British people, the mission doesn't really change. The high-level goals of the organization don't change. But the methods that they deploy and the way they think about it and the way they use and train their people is going to have to change. And they haven't even really realized that yet. They've just become dissatisfied with the results at the beginning. So what do you see here, Drew, as we kick this off? I mean, if
0: we look at just the traditional way that we think about organizations and systems, we see the people, the process, and the technology. Three legs of the stool. You can see how they've reached their limit. Maybe they're progressing from a technology standpoint, but their people seem to be pretty stagnant. M, 007, they're both not really improving their skill sets at this point. They're just kind of trying to keep using the same skill sets that have made them successful for the past N number of years. You see their processes haven't really changed. Again, like there's this motorcycle scene in Istanbul that you're used to seeing in a James Bond movie, and he's not leveraging technology or anything here. Yeah, he's talking to his queue and he's working through the situation, but he's trying to brute force a solution to capture back this hard drive. And in the end, we end up dealing with a catastrophic situation where M orders Eve to take the shot and she hits Bond and he falls off the train. But the organization really needed that to move forward, because otherwise it seems like they were just going to continue to stagnate. Brian, how can we apply this to business? How do we see the same problems that MI6 is going through plaguing our business?
1: That's a great way to kind of zoom out on it. As you said, the, you know if we have people, processes, and technology as sort of the, the fabric of what our organization does then you can certainly look at examples in the real world today where any one of those things are changing rapidly out from underneath you as an organization, even if you're a very successful organization. The technology is the obvious one for a lot of us that have lived through the last 20 years, right? You know, there are things that are software now that used to be physical things that a lot of processes are getting replaced. We got competitors arising in all sorts of domains, We're trying to figure out, like, how are we going to grapple with AI, right? The chat GPT is the hot topic, you know, as we record this. But the idea that AI is increasingly doing things that used to be only human-capable jobs, some of which were kind of really terrible, repetitive, only human-capable jobs, like we've successfully leveraged machines to do physical labor in a lot of cases, but now there's the potential we could be leveraging machines to do more automated intellectual labor. So what does that do to my competitive landscape as an organization? that's one possible thing. But we're also seeing at the same time as we record this, right, we've still got ongoing broad supply chain disruptions. So even if your people are super skilled and you've got all the technology you need and your processes are theoretically really good, if you can't get the stuff you need to build your product, if you can't put food on the shelves in your grocery store, you've got a problem. You're not able to do the thing that you want to do. You're not able to pursue your mission. And so I think this, you know, organizational limits, aren't necessarily just the organization has grown to the point where they don't know how to grow anymore. They could be the organization that was successful, has had the world change out from under it, which happens all the time. Okay, now how am I going to deal with this? If I'm an insurance company, I'm being disrupted by small insurance tech startups. If I'm a manufacturing company, my product incorporates an internal combustion engine, and now suddenly electric powertrains are all the rage. (laughs) like all of these things are sort of changing at the same time. And I think the
0: challenge here, then, maybe that we start out with in our limit break model that you shared at the beginning is first just to understand that dissatisfaction. Because we talked in the past about how people rarely change until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing. And that is almost always true of businesses, it seems like. And it's kind of why there's this death and life cycle of businesses, even within sectors. Businesses fail to change inevitably. So how do we get out in front of that before we become obsolete? Because we almost see MI6 becoming obsolete in front of us in this movie. And you're questioning, okay, well, what is the cost of them changing going to be? Because their current processes simply are not working. I guarantee that almost anyone listening to this, whether it's in your personal life where you're running into relationship issues or family issues or something like that, where you really feel like you're reaching a limit and you're just running up against the same line over and over again and you just can't get past it, or whether it's your business where you are just seems like this is the most market share that you seem to be able to have. You're running up against the top of your market share or you're running up against the top of your profitability. How can we move forward past that? Because I think if we wait until we're so dissatisfied that the pain is crippling for us to move forward, it might already be too late.
1: It might. That's a good question. But I think also we tend to see sort of the escalating the escalating pain, right? Problems get worse and get worse, and they don't necessarily get worse linearly. <laughs> you know, they reach new levels. They, they might fail catastrophically. We've seen that, too. But actually, this is a good place. Let's play our what-if game. In this movie, at the beginning, where the the whole thing is a big, long chase scene after this one character who's stolen their their hard drive with their secret names on it, and Bond's hand-to-hand combat with him on top of the train, and Eve takes the shot, and she hits Bond instead, and he falls off. Bad guy gets away. Names get revealed. Agents are starting to get murdered out in the field. M gets called on the carpet before the parliament to answer some questions. That failure, that is a catalyst that kind of puts a point on their organizational challenges. That puts a point on you can't wait anymore to deal with the new world. Right. And sometimes those catalysts can be a gift. If you get a problem that is, even if it's not yet an existential problem, it's public enough or painful enough or clear enough that everybody can sort of rally around it. as like, no, we need to do something now. That can be a real gift. And that can be, like you say, in your personal life where you get to that one huge fight where you realize you need to have the conversation you've been wanting to have for six months. Or it could be in an organization where you, you know, you have a big enough bug in the product that you're like, all right, this isn't like just a bug in the product. This is a fundamental problem with the way our processes are missing issues. And we need to fix that or we're never going to get out of this loop. So what happens in this movie? What happens if Bond doesn't get shot off the train? If he gets the hard drive back, what happens?
0: Well, i think the turning point in this movie is when bond has the realization that he can't just keep fighting this physical fight with his own mental fortitude the way that he has in the past he realizes that silva is one step ahead of them and the only way he can get out in front is to go backwards so if that's the case and that's really our pivotal moment then i don't understand how they're going to get to that point It's like a boiling the frog situation almost here, where MI6 is just going to continue to get boiled and boiled and boiled until they're already gone. And they're never going to realize it. they have to have that catalyst moment where they come to understand that what they're doing is not working. And it's funny because Bond has that moment and he's just kind of in a very James Bond way, doesn't even realize it and just leverages it for his own gain immediately. And it's like, oh, it's kind of nice to actually
1: not have a responsibility right now and not have a mission <laughs> that I have to wake up every morning and go do. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So if that incident doesn't happen, if he doesn't get shot off the train, then he doesn't go reflect on what his priorities really are. And they don't have the crisis that forces them to think about their problem. Right. And they just go on fat, dumb and happy until the next even worse threat comes along. So, but there's two values there, right? One is the catalyst of realizing that you've got a problem, the crystallizing the dissatisfaction into not just like I'm vaguely unhappy with how things are going, but like, I've just realized that I need a limit break. I've just realized that I need to up my game as an organization. MI6 does that because of this event, but then Bond himself, like he said, yeah, he goes and lives on a beach somewhere. You know, and, and is kind of he's living a life of luxury which is to be fair not dissimilar from his free time when he's an agent but when he hears about the attack on parliament it crystallizes for him he's like oh yeah like part of being who i am is i care about this mission i care about protecting the security of the people in my country i care about peace and safety so i have to go back and go back and do james bond things because just enjoying myself isn't sufficient so he has the personal clarity that he needs to, that he still cares about the mission, that he still really wants to support the, the efforts. But the organization has the clarity that this is really bad. So when you're in a big organization and things aren't going well, what do you do when you have a big problem? You call a bunch of meetings to yell at each other.
0: <laughs> yeah, of course. And that's exactly what we see happen here, where people are clearly dissatisfied, right? Like the customer being parliament is dissatisfied with, MI. M is dissatisfied with herself and with the agents that she's working with right now because they're not able to get the job done and they feel like they're fighting against shadows, but they're not able to move forward. And I think we can see any examples of this in the real world as well. Before we move on to the next section, I do want to hit that dissatisfaction piece of it is we have to look at the story here, right? We're very story driven on Wonder Tour. This might not be the only way to look at things, but it's the way that we think is really valuable and where we're able to catch the story beats early on. It is a huge advantage to catch the story beat early on before you look back and you're like, oh yeah, chapter two was foreshadowing what was going to happen in chapter eight. So I'll give an example here, right? If you've noticed that your enterprise infrastructure, that your enterprise systems that you've been running on for the last 10, 20, 30 years, you know, maybe they're all on premise. So you have all this infrastructure to manage You have all of these applications to manage, and they're all tightly coupled together with all sorts of complexity, and they haven't been modernized. Well, maybe we got to, before the whole system goes down, causing traumatic impact to your customers, maybe we need to notice the story beats that are happening and be like, hey, you know, maybe the dev team only has time to work on bug fixes. That's a pretty bad symptom. (laughs) We should probably consider... That we need to make a change to the system if the only thing the dev team has the capability of doing is working on bug fixes. Right. I mean, there's, there's other examples of that, too, right? In your ways of working, you can see it. In your processes. If your process is causing more meetings with parliament than it is happy customers, <laughs> then maybe before the process catastrophically fails on a delivery to the customer where your app shuts down, or your product doesn't work when it gets into the customer's hands or something like that, maybe we need to stop and reevaluate the process or even how we're designing the process.
1: Right. Or if you observe that your competitors are succeeding in ways that you couldn't or that you don't even understand, these threats are so, they're so new to us, we can't even put names on them yet. That's probably a clue. You need to dig into it and go figure out where are your gaps or what is the, you know, you need to put some real energy into being proactive rather than reactive like and like you say the the earlier you detect those story beats the earlier you can get onto your limit break cycle the better chance you have of not having it be a catastrophic failure but of course this wouldn't be nearly as much fun of a movie if we didn't have catastrophic failure so you want to talk about the catastrophic failure phase
0: Yeah, so we've been walking up the mountain, we're nearing the mountaintop here, and this time our moment that we're focused on is going to be when Silva stages the attack on Parliament. And this one just hits close to home because of things I've seen in the past, where you have people arguing over if MI6 needs to change, the stakeholders are unhappy about the current progress, the leader of the operation being M is defending her group. She literally gets news in her earpiece that the high priority prisoner Silva that they had captured has escaped, which should be setting off alarms everywhere because he's slippery and he knows everything about them. She's so set in her ways that she just continues to defend her way of working, even when the way of working is clearly failing right in front of her. And it It all comes to a head when it explodes right in her face as Silva breaks through the walls into the room that she's having the argument
1: in. Yes. Yeah, there's there's lots of fun symbolism in this, right? Because she's, you know, she's like, well, it would be pretty embarrassing to argue that we're really competent fighting terrorism and then say we should all get out of this room because there's going to be a terrorist attack. Like, you know, she's avoiding the embarrassment. But also, one of the things that's happening inside this organization is that they're all yelling at each other about whose fault it is and about whether the new way is the right way to do things or the old way is the right way to do things. And what happens is they get attacked by somebody who's using both ways, right? So he's done all the technological stuff. He's opened the doors. He'd set off the computer systems. He's let himself escape. He's using the cameras. But then he walks into the room with a gun. Like, you know, he's, very, he's going very old school and new school. And that's the lesson that they as an organization need to learn is to take the strengths that they already have, take the capabilities they already have and couple them with new capabilities and figure out how to pivot the whole organization rather than arguing about whether they should abandon the old things and do the new things. They're debating whether their approach works and they end up in a much worse situation and various people get shot and there's the fiasco. But this is, again, A big enough catalyst that M can't carry on pretending anymore that she can just run the organization and try to solve the problem because she's actually personally at the center of it. So that's one of the things we find out right now that we've introduced our villain and he's been introduced to her and we realize that there's some real personal animosity and issues there. But she and Bond are going to have to come to a realization about changing the game, about the way that they're going to have to solve this problem is not the same way that they've done things before, but it's not abandoning who they are and what they're good at either. So do you want to bring in the game theory piece here? Yeah. So
0: once you hit that dissatisfaction, right, to the point where it's palpable and you're sitting in an argument in Parliament in your situation, I think that there has to be a recognition that we need to give way to realization. At this point, like we, we have to align back on the mission externally, and then we need to try to move to step two in a limit break. Because we know that once you have that dissatisfaction and you're having those meetings, it's a good signal that you're at a limit and that you need to break that limit. So arguing that we're not at a limit is probably not the way to go. If you're arguing about your competitors passing you in a certain technology or in customer satisfaction or something, like you said, Brian, I don't Mm -hmm. think the argument should be if we're at a limit. The argument should be how do we move to step two? Do we need to realign on the mission? Do we need to, you know, how do we instigate a realization? Because we know that some realizations take time and it's going to take consensus, you know, in order to get to the alignment externally and stuff. But there are ways to curate the narrative to try to expedite a realization. And that is not at all what we see here. Well, I guess I can't just say that because Bond going and seeking out Silva kind of pushes towards the realization. So there is yeah. that going on. But the overall MI6 organization does nothing different. They, they literally had their system attacked, and then they let that same system protect the prisoner. It's like you already had an invasion into that system. Right. <laughs> the system's already been beat, and you're, you're just trotting it back out there again and seeing if it works this time.
1: Right. And we see we've got the Mallory character who is sympathetic but he's the force for change right he's i've been inserted in this i'm the leader who's been airdropped into this situation to try to accelerate the change and even though he's got some stuff in his background he was a soldier in northern ireland or whatever so you know apparently he feels like he should have some credibility but he hasn't really built up any credibility with these people yet and so they're not just jumping on board they're not looking for a change parliament's pretty clear on the super high level mission but again Just as an organization, they haven't really figured out a way forward that involves integrating their existing skills with their new challenges and their new skills. And so, yeah, Bond and the new Q technology guy don't trust each other. And Bond doesn't really really trust M because she let him get shot off the train at the beginning of the episode. (laughs) And there's a lot of internal mistrust, which is another really good symptom when you're facing one of these organizational limits is that the processes stop working and the people start blaming each other. So, any opportunity you have as the leader at whatever level, you may not be the high enough level leader to fix all of the problems or to align everybody. And even if you are, nobody might listen to you. But whatever level you're at, any opportunity you have to reclarify the mission, reclarify the dissatisfaction like, this is the problem we're trying to fix, crystallize the fact that you have to change, that not changing, that just proceeding as always is not an option. And to get the internal alignment of we have to do this together, we have to figure out a way to incorporate new things into our strengths, that realization and alignment step can only come from humans, low and mid-level leaders all up and down the organization, listening to the ideas, listening to the suggestions, listening to the individual expertise and observations. That's the only way that that happens as an organization. Yeah. And I think the
0: story beats going back to that is really important here because, you know, beat cop is at the lower level. The beat cop is not the commissioner. The beat cop is the one who's actually understanding what's happening boots on the ground. And they're the first to know if there's dissatisfaction or something like that. The first to know is not the top person in command. Now, I've seen really good leaders who operate at the edges who are able to be there at the ground level sometimes and do empathize with the people. But like you said, it's really critical to, number one, figure out the dissatisfaction. As soon as it gets there, let's try to capitalize on it. Then realizing that if there's dissatisfaction, that's the game theory piece of it. The only path forward is to move towards realization. We have to clarify the mission and move towards a realization. I think it's actually really interesting to look at how M has tried that in the past. Because she knew that Silva was in his career as an agent at a limit. He was acting unethically unethically. Maybe he had the wrong priorities and his alignment to the mission was getting warped. And she tries to initiate a realization for him. And that's why she gives him up. At this point, she's like, I'm not seeing a realization. He's not going to reach this limit break on his own. So I have to push him out of the nest and I have to see what happens here. And it ends up blowing up in her face to some extent. But. That push towards the realization and how we do it is critical. As leaders, I do think there are times where you have to push somebody into the pain because it's the only way forward and it doesn't seem like the kind thing to do in the moment, but it's really not loving to let somebody stagnate when they're very dissatisfied with how things are. For example, if somebody's in a role that they're not happy with and they're not getting themselves out of it, then sometimes they need to have a bad performance review. Even if you like the person, they need to hear that, hey, you need to instigate a change in your life. Otherwise, this is not going well. They have to go into that pain. They need to be assigned to something that they didn't necessarily want to do. They need to learn the value of serving as opposed to, you know, I've seen this before with young leaders, right? They just want to lead everything. They don't want to have to learn at the grassroots level anymore, at the bottom level anymore. It kind of sucks to have to push somebody back in and say, no, I still think you do need to. And I'm trusting my wisdom in the situation to be able to guide you. And I'm asking you to as well, because I still think you need another realization.
1: Yeah, no, that's really cool. I think that's a good way to think about it. And I I would suggest that depending on the personality, right, pitching that as growth rather than as going back or going down is maybe powerful. You know, young leaders are not looking for like, oh, I'm going to have to go do this grunt work again or I'm going to have to buy into somebody else's mission. But they often can be interested in learning. This is an opportunity to be ready for the next level. So I love the symmetry of what's happening in the story here, right, is that as an organization, you want employees or associates like Bond, right, who are like 100 percent committed at great personal peril. You want employees or associates like M. Like she's incredibly clear on and focused on the mission, great personal sacrifice. And she's super pragmatic. She's like, yeah, transition with Hong Kong was coming up and Silva was kind of not listening to me and he was out on the edges. And I had the opportunity to save a half dozen other people and I just did it. And we got a smooth transition. I was very pragmatic about my decisions. And when Mallory challenges her to, to retire, she's not viewing this as a growth opportunity. She's viewing this as going backwards. She's like, you know, hell with dignity. The job's not done. I'm focused on the job. But she doesn't realize that Mallory is doing the same thing to her. He's one level up going like, yeah, we need to move this organization forward and you're not moving. Even though she's that Obi-Wan figure in her environment for the people underneath her, she doesn't realize that Mallory and Parliament have real oversight. They have a real stake in this. They deserve to be part of the conversation. So she's resisting them. And so they're not moving forward as fast as they could be. And so that you're not going to ever go through something like this as an organization, even if it's a team of four people, you're not going to go through a change to a new set of processes or adopting a new technology or changing your mission. You're not going to go through that without some arguing, without some dissatisfaction, without some failed trials and public failures. But as much as you can minimize that by, like you say, sensing the story beats and getting on board with like, this is an imperative and we are all on the same page of we want to succeed as an organization together. The super high level mission hasn't changed, but the specific thing that we're trying to accomplish, the specific new level that we need to achieve needs to get clear. That's a real thing that every organization will have to go through. And even M in this movie shows us that though she's operated at that level with those skill sets in her own domain, she still needs a push. She still needs the disruption and the Maori to kind of kick her out of her comfort zone. And to point out that maybe her package of skills and her leadership style isn't carrying it forward the way it needs to for all of her commitment. Oh, so I love how we've in this episode, as we kind of wrap up here,
0: focused on dissatisfaction into the realization, because I think for organizations, that's one of the hardest parts is that realization is an internal thing and it needs to be a domino effect on people like somebody's going to have to have a realization. It might not be the person at the top even first needs to have a realization and they need to have an updated narrative and start to be able to see the story beats for what they really are and say okay how are we going to shift given this new information that we have and the realization is always initiated by new information because you can't have a realization without new information so being open to that new information and looking for realizations and looking for realizations is really hard the first part when you're in the flow step of the process eventually the flow stagnates. <laughs> as far as we could tell, eventually the flow stagnates and you need another limit break. You reach the top and you can sense that through the dissatisfaction and the story beats. But then once you reach that point, you're trying to get to the external part of step two alignment, which means you need to have cascading realizations in people. Right. So right. I love that. We see here the cascading realizations that change needs to happen, like you said, from Mallory, from Bond, from M. Q is open to it. Hugh immediately subscribes. He's like, well, there goes my
1: intelligence career. <laughs> right. And Eve is the same thing. Like she's in this organization. She's trying to figure out where she's going to be good. She's like, I, I think I want to be a field agent. That sounds like fun. I'm going to try it. I had kind of a, a letdown. I had a failure moment, but I think I want to keep trying. Everybody's sort of trying to figure it out. So this recipe is not different. The phases of the limit break aren't different. But if your organization is going to do a limit break, if your organization is going to achieve a new level, then this step two of realization and alignment Everybody in the organization, they don't necessarily have to have exactly the same realization, exactly the same alignment, but they all have to interlock. They all have to realize the contribution that they have to make. They might have to change the way that they behave to fit into the new alignment. And so that's the leadership challenge is getting everybody clear enough on the dissatisfaction and mission that they can individually fit in as puzzle pieces in the new solution and contribute to it. And be ready to, like, okay, I think this is what I'm going to do. Now everybody's got to pay the cost. Now everybody's got to start walking the new path.
0: And that's what we're going to get into with part two. As we look at the individual limit break that Bond goes through and the cost that he pays.
1: Yeah, and this will be really fun because this movie gives us a great contrast between Bond and Silva as different ways of experiencing and transcending challenges very different approaches to it with otherwise nearly identical characters. We have a positive and a negative example here. This is going to be a lot of fun. All right, I think that's it for this week. Thanks so much for joining us, everyone. Our limit break recipe looks like it can be scaled to accommodate the organizational limit break challenge. I think the phases are similar obviously longer and more complex but as a leader we're not here to do just personal limit breaks we're here to do organizational leveling up right (laughs) so i think we really need to be comfortable with this challenge we need to have some clear idea about how to sense these story beats or these recipe elements and how to navigate through them but we always need to zoom back down and realize that all these things are always about individual humans and their own growth so that's really what we'll focus on episode two i think that'll be a lot of fun So join us next week for Skyfall Part 2, and until then, just remember, as always, character is destiny.